Hey guys, this is Pastor Josh from Fresh Church. We are so excited that you are joining us for our podcast today. I do want to tell you that we pray at Fresh Church that you would get involved in the local church in your city. The Bible says that those that plant themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish. And a podcast and an online experience, a YouTube uh, sermon is amazing, but it does not replace the local church, the hope of the world, the community, the family that God has placed all of us in. And so we hope you find that. And we hope you enjoy this message today. Well, man, I'm so excited just to be here today with you. And I'm so excited that I get to introduce a friend of mine um, to you. There's some people that, as a pastor, we go to some uh, leadership trainings and and just pastor retreats and things like that. And Ashley and I, you guys blessed us with being able to go to California this summer um, on an amazing pastor's retreat called ILM. And, and we're just there. You get to hang out with a lot of other pastors, and you get to meet a lot of other pastors. And, and, um, and, and so we got to meet Lucas and his wife, Jackie, um, at that retreat this summer. And let me tell you, it was just a, a God-send type of conversation. You know, it was a God-send friendship. And, and, um, and not only has he just been an amazing friend, but he's also uh, just, an, 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 it's amazing the anointing and the gift of God when it comes to just freedom and deliverance um, type of ministry that, that is on his life. And so um, I knew immediately once he started, A, because he was praying for Ashley and I, and then they prayed for me and sometimes when I was dealing with some depression and some anxiety, and, and I'll tell you, um, when they got done praying for me, I immediately felt something off of me. It was absolutely amazing, you know. And, and I want to tell you that that's why I knew that I had to do whatever we could to get him here in this house. Because I know that there's some people here that need some freedom. I know there's some people here that need some deliverance today. And, and you may not even think that you do, but we all have areas in our life where we're, we're locked up. Where there's something deep within us that's locked where there's something that God wants to release, where there's some type of freedom, some type of deliverance that needs to happen. And, and so I, I just want to pray as Lucas comes, dear Lord, I thank you for sending Lucas here today. Lord, I thank you for the word of God that he has for our church. I thank you for how you're using him all over the world. I thank you for how you're using him and Jackie. And God, I pray for them. I pray favor over their lives. I pray anointing. I pray continued blessing. And God, I pray that our eyes would be open, that our ears would hear, and that our feet would move to action what you are bringing into this house today. In your name, amen, amen. Come on, would you just clap for Lucas as he comes and, and gives us the word this morning. Come on up here, Lucas. Excellent. Thank you so much. Can we give a big hand for your pastor, Pastor Josh, and Ashley as well. She's with kids. Such incredible people. You guys are so blessed. And uh, thank you so much, guys. Uh, I, you probably realize I sound a little different. Just a little. G'day, mate. <laughs> Crikey! Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I am from Australia. Uh, hopefully I don't swear today because... Uh, I learned the hard way that there's some words you're allowed to say in Australia that you're not allowed to say in America. And, uh, you know, I was telling churches for about a year, we've been living here three years in San Diego, and I tell this story sometimes about how, you know, God told me who I was going to marry, my wife, and, and I sort of, you know, kept telling this story that, you know, we met, and it was a little while later that we hooked up, and, and then one day a pastor said to me, he said, what do you think hooked up means? 
And I'm like, well, in Australia, that just means we started dating. And he said, yeah, not in America. <laughs> so basically, I told everyone we had sex before marriage, which that didn't happen, okay? Uh, but if you hear that rumor, if you could just squash it, that would be good. <clears throat> but um, it's so good to be here. We've been living in America about, uh, just gone three years last week. And uh, we love America and just feel like this is, you know, where we're going to live for the rest of our life. Suffering for Jesus in San Diego, so please pray for us. It's tough. But uh, I, uh, I grew up in Melbourne, Australia, and my parents uh, divorced when I was about five or six. Uh, my dad did a whole heap of drugs. He'd sell drugs. We'd go and stay with him on Friday nights, and everyone be, it was a real party house. Uh, my mum, my sister and I, we lived with her six nights a week. My mum also did drugs, uh, a lot of excessive alcohol. Uh, many of my aunties and uncles did drugs. Uh, even some of my grandparents did drugs. Uh, you know you're in trouble when granddad smokes bongs, okay? That's just a bad start to life. And uh, I do that joke just to see how naughty the crowd is. And you guys are fairly up there. So, yeah, good. Represent Nashville. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I'm starting to work out why you found a church that has a 10 a.m. service. Not a, no, I'm just joking. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I followed in my dad's footsteps and at 12, 13, started to smoke cigarettes, binge drinking, uh, marijuana. At 15, I started to inject uh, amphetamines, taking acid, ecstasy. Uh, at 16, I took an acid trip at a house where they were involved in satanic worship. And I took this acid trip and I actually overdosed. I was unconscious for three hours. I wasn't a believer. I, I, I didn't believe in God. You know, I, I kind of believe God maybe was out there. But for three hours while I was unconscious, I was tormented by demons. Uh, and, and, you know, I can't even properly ever explain, but ridiculed, mocked, teased, tormented by, by pure evil. Uh, I'm 43 years old next week, and without a doubt, there's, there's been some tough times in my life, but without a doubt, that was the most traumatic experience of my 43 years on the earth, three hours of torment. I came out of that, and with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis, because now the television would answer my thoughts. The radio would answer my thoughts. This voice would tell me every day that nobody liked me, nobody loved me, that I should kill myself. Uh, from 16 to 19, I was suicidal. I was hopeless. I would cry myself to sleep at night. At 19, I almost ended my life. But it was one lady that had been praying for me for 17 years that I would one day encounter the love of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you that, you know what, there might be people in your life that seem so far gone, but don't ever stop praying. You might be the only person that's standing before heaven and asking Jesus to help this particular person. And so after 17 years of prayer, I had a, a radical encounter with this particular, on the phone to this particular auntie where I felt the love of God come in a powerful way. I was 23 years old. I went to church. I made a public decision for Jesus, and uh, I fully got born again. I fell in love with God, but I still struggled with this 10-year addiction. See, who knows that you can be born again and love Jesus, but still have stuff going on in your life? That's called being a human being, and that's why we need a Savior. His name is Jesus, and, and, and so I heard the, the pastor, sorry, sorry, I heard the pastor, you know, just... <coughs> I'm actually now a little bilingual, uh, just, just un poquito. Uh, so, but I heard the pastor say there was nothing God couldn't do. And I, and I went home as a two or three week old Christian and I got on my hands and knees 
and I, I just started to cry out. I said, God, I'm sick of being a drug addict. I've been one nearly my whole life. And God, I want you to take this addiction away from me. And all of a sudden, faith began to rise in a two- or three-week-old Christian. But see, faith began to rise because a lady had been praying for 17 years. And as faith began to rise, I cried out and I said, God, when will you do it? And he spoke to me and, 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 and basically he spoke and he said, Lucas, you'll never, ever need drugs again. You'll never need cigarettes again. Since that moment, I've never had a desire, never had a withdrawal. Uh, you know, come on, God is so good. <clears throat> Uh, I love that what took the devil 23 years of his downward destructive demonic cycle just took God one word. One word to say it's done, it's finished, it's over. And, and that's not just Christian cliche. You know, sometimes there is a process, but there's also many moments in the Bible of suddenlies that you maybe struggle with something for a long time, but I'm believing today is your suddenly. If you've struggled with anxiety, I'm believing today that your testimony would be today was the day it's gone. If there is an addiction or depression or, 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 or whatever you're going through, I'm believing today for a suddenly. And, and I want to uh, share a word today, and then we're going to really, I'm going to really minister and open the altar at the end of this service, and I want to pray for people, but you know, that testimony I told you in October, it'll be 20 years, it happened 20 years ago when I became a Christian, October 10, but actually this year, January 26, I actually had my own personal freedom experience, I got free of something that I wasn't 100% aware uh, that I was in bondage in this particular area. Uh, I had an experience that radically changed who I was, and it was only, I don't know, whatever the math is, but what, what's that, maybe about seven, eight months ago. And, and so privately, it happened January 26th this year. But publicly, it was kind of seen in the way that I minister in the first weekend of March this year. Uh, I'm going to finish this message telling the story of what happened to me on January 26th. But in the first weekend of March, I was in a really cool church. A, a friend of mine has a really cool church in, in downtown Chicago. And, and I was ministering there, and it was the first time that I ever shared the story that I'm going to share with you at the end of this service. And I've been ministering around the world full-time. This is what I've been doing. It's how I earn my living full-time for eight years. I've been all over the world, been in incredible churches, seeing God do, seeing tens of thousands of people give their life to Jesus and thousands and thousands get free and all kinds of things. And, 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 but, and so I see God do a lot of things. And this particular night I ministered and one lady got overwhelmed and sort of dropped to her knees in the ministry time part and just started weeping and, and started getting free and somebody else. And, and I've seen that kind of stuff many times. But it was after the service where it was a little bit different because I'd shared this story. And organically, as people were kind of going off to the, the, the foyer, one by one, a person would come to me and say, Lucas, I relate to the story that you told of oppression. I, I, I relate to what you talked about. Could you pray for me? And I asked a couple questions and I was able to pray. And with a couple minutes, this person, just like Pastor Josh said, where something felt like it just lifted. And this person just said, man, I, I just, I feel different, like something's changed. And then next, organically, the next person was waiting and said, well, I, I felt the same thing. And, and, and I saw about 10 people in a row all get free in a moment. It, it kind of came to a crescendo. And uh, I've got to tell you that this is a bit of a full-on graphic kind of story, but it's just what happened and what took place this year in March. 
And I get to this young lady and I say, hey, what do you need? And she's already crying. And I, I grab her hand and, and she says, when I was ages 9 to 13, I was made to be a sex slave amongst the males within my family. She said, I married a man at 18. She's, she's weeping and she's crying. And I married a man at 18 who I thought was my Prince Charming who would rescue me from the nightmare which was my life. She said, it didn't take long to work out that he too was a pedophile. He raped me most nights for five years straight. And I said to her as I held her hand, I said, we're going to pray. And I, and I started to pray in the name of Jesus. And I've got her testimony on a video that she filmed four weeks after this incident. And so in the video four weeks, I, I watched it. And what she says happened is as I started to pray in the name of Jesus, she says that she felt fire go through her entire body, that she literally felt fire from heaven going through her body. In the video, she has no recollection of the next 10 minutes of what actually took place. But as fire went through her body, she dropped to the floor and she began to manifest demonically in a way that I'd never seen anyone manifest before. She began to shake and to scream, to speak to me in a man's voice. Uh, the, you know, it was just kind of the interns that were packing down and, and their jaws were on the ground. The pastor was there, his jaw was on the ground. To be honest, I was freaking out a little bit too. And so we just kept praying as she's manifesting and speaking in this evil man's voice. And, and, and it went about 10 minutes. And I'll never, ever forget this moment. It's probably one of my most treasured memories that I'll take to the grave. After 10 minutes, it was like something broke. And in front of me, her face changed. And she started weeping. And all she could say was, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. On her testimony that she filmed four weeks later, she said that she went to work on Monday morning and her unchurched colleagues kept coming up to her saying, what happened to you on the weekend? Why do you look so different? Something's changed. Your eyes are different. There's something different about you. And literally from that weekend, and this is not an exaggeration, because I, like I said, I've been, this is my eighth year of full-time travel. I've seen a lot of cool things. But since the first weekend in March, I've seen more freedom miracles since March than I did in seven years of full-time travel. And a big part of it is what God did in me in January, but then I would be amiss to not talk about last year God told us to, to relaunch, to, to, to start our ministry, and I've got a slide, and to call it A Freedom Experience. And so we have a website that's afreedomexperience.com. And really, my wife and I, we don't feel called to pastor a church. We feel called to give the rest of our life to help as many people as possible have a freedom experience. And one of the, one of the things that we've put together, we launched it in April, is a 21-day mind renewal journey. And it's full of God encounter. And already, because there's a, the private Facebook community that we've had about 300 people do this, and so we hear the testimonies of God turning up in someone's living room where they wept for an hour and just got free of stuff from their childhood, from grief, from depression. But on top of that, because, see, I don't want it to just be about God encounter. It's also about changing the way you think. 
And the reason we do 21 days is because we help you. We show you a method where uh, you spend 30 minutes a day, but there's an eight-minute process where you work on one mindset, the same mindset every day for 21 days, and you can permanently change the way you think. See, I don't want to just be mind renewal, and I don't want to just be God encounter, because I see a lot of people get free in a moment, but if you don't change the way you think, then I'll see you at the same altar call six months later, because your mind is the thing that is, is, is taking you. So I'm going to be at the desk. You can come and talk to me about that. If you actually sign up today, you get 30% off uh, today. If not, you can do it at home. It's afreedomexperience.com. Uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Let's just look at the script, uh, scripture, and then I've got three quick points, and then we're going to pray. It says here, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, I might just get my water there as well, if that's okay, Josh, thank you. Uh, At dawn, he appeared again, thank you, in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Here we go, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. See, every time the Bible speaks about teachers of the law or Pharisees, it's always speaking about a religious spirit. And let me tell you, That the church worldwide, one of the biggest dangers, one of the biggest things the devil brings against it is a religious spirit. And I actually have, you know, a holy hatred towards a religious spirit. See, because the reason I, I despise it is because at least a spirit of lust is not pretending to be something good. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's, 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 it's being a spirit of lust and we either choose whether we want evil or not. But, but a religious spirit, it comes in the name of good. It comes in the appearance of good, but rather than lift people up, it's always about pushing them down. And so it says they brought in a woman caught in adultery. See, a religious spirit is always about exposing someone's sin rather than covering it. See, uh, religion always wants to expose. Jesus is always about covering. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Jesus wants to deal with my sin, but he does it in a loving way like a father does, where he deals privately or with a person, and to everybody else, he always wants to cover. See, I've got two little boys, and they, they're 13 and 14. They both have weakness, but I'm not about showing their weakness off to the world. As a father, I'm always looking to cover their weakness and deal personally with their weakness so that they can be better in life. It says they, they, they it says also that, that they made her stand before the group. And it says, teacher, this woman was caught in the act. I want you to catch this. I, I don't want to be graphic for you, but she was caught in the act of adultery. In other words, she was caught sleeping with someone that was not her husband. And, and so they most probably grabbed her by the hair while she was still naked and dragged her down the street. So you've got to understand, she wasn't caught in the act of adultery in Nashville 2019. She was caught in the act of adultery in the Middle East more than 2,000 years ago. As she was dragged by the hair, she knew that she was facing certain death. She knew that they were about to pick up large stones where they would throw them at her head and her face until she was no more. She most probably knew someone that had died the exact same way. It says, teacher, this woman, uh, sorry, in the law, here here they are, they, they go, in the law, Moses commanded. See, the thing I despise about a religious spirit is it will still use the word of God. 
the Bible says. You can make the Bible say anything to beat people over the head and push them down. The Bible says. Uh, in the law, Moses commanded stone such women. What do you say? It says they were using this question as a trap in order to have basis to, to accuse him. See, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And here these people with this religious spirit are pertaining, uh, uh, pretending to be men of God, but they're speaking the devil's language. They're speaking accusation. But Jesus bent down. He started right on the ground with his finger. They kept on questioning him. He straightened up and he said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down. He wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. I love this, the older ones first. See, because the longer you've been alive, the longer you've been a Christian, the more you realize how much you actually really need Jesus. I remember when I first became a Christian, so radically saved, and I thought, man, this thing is easy. I'm just going to cruise, you know what I mean? Like, seriously, what is wrong with these people that are struggling? But what I, and I thought, the longer I've been a Christian, surely the easier it gets. But what I've realized, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I've seen my humanity and the more I've understood I need Jesus every single day. Jesus, I really need, I haven't got this all together. I need you every single day. The older left first. And then it says, uh, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. Now go and sin no more. Uh, you can leave that there. And, and, and so I, I love this because Jesus was the only one that was without sin. He was the only one that had a right to condemn her. But he says, I choose not to condemn you. And, and so, you know, religion says... The message of religion is this, stop sinning or you'll be condemned. Jesus says, you're not condemned. Now go and stop sinning. Major difference. See, one is out of fear. You better stop sinning or condemnation awaits. Jesus says, before she's even repented, Jesus says, I want, to communica I want to communicate a message to you. Yeah, you might have messed up. Yeah, you might have made some mistakes. But guess what? I'm telling you, you're not condemned. I'm telling you, you're still a daughter of God. I'm telling you that you're my daughter. You're not disqualified. You've still got a destiny and a future. And see, when you understand that, you can now live a life of sinning no more. See, religion wants to deal with the surface level issue. Oh, he's struggling with porn. Or, 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 or she gets too angry or she's gossiping or there's anxiety or there's depression. And religion just wants to put a band-aid on the surface level issue. But Jesus says, no, let's deal with what's underneath and the behavior will take care of itself. See, even in psychology, they call this the cycle of addiction. And they talk about when someone does something that they know they shouldn't do, the reason we do it, and sometimes we even ask ourselves, man, why do I keep doing that thing that I know is not good for me? And the reason we do it is because when we do it, whether it's to look at something or, or take something or it's substance or food or alcohol or whatever it might be, and, and what happens is when we do that thing we shouldn't do, it, it, it uh, uh, lets off a chemical in our brain called dopamine. 
And dopamine is the same chemical that's released when you take cocaine. It's, it's a, a natural rush. It's a high. It's a, it's a great feeling. Even though you're doing the wrong thing, when dopamine is released, you get this high, this sense of euphoria, and, it's, and, and it feels incredible. And, and then what happens, but because we did the wrong thing, once the dopamine subsides, then what comes after is guilt, shame, condemnation. And then we only live like that for so long and then the brain sends a message to itself and says, hey, we're sick of feeling like this. I know how we can stop feeling like this. If we go back to that thing again, then dopamine will be released and all of this bad feeling will disappear and we'll feel good again. So the brain almost tricks ourselves and it says, go and do that thing again to get some more dopamine. And then we find ourselves doing the thing that we said we'd never ever do again, but here we are again because our brain wants dopamine. But now what happens, again, it subsides and now the guilt is even worse. There's even more condemnation. There's more shame. And that right there is the cycle of addiction. See, religion tries to deal with the behavior, but Jesus understands. See, this woman, it tells us that she was set up. She she was, you know, where's the man in this story? How come he didn't appear before the Pharisees? And it tells us that she was set up to accuse Jesus. So I don't think it's a far stretch to think that this woman had a reputation. Why did they choose her? She was probably known to be promiscuous. They made sure she was there with that particular man at that exact time while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts. And so, and, and now this is a bit of an ad lib, okay? I, I, the Bible doesn't say this, but often when a woman is acting out in this particular way, not always, but you can often trace it back that she didn't have a dad that told her she was beautiful. She didn't have a daddy that showed her how to treat a woman and how a woman should be treated. And, and maybe at 13, there was a young punk that, that asked her to give away her virginity and he promised her the world. But the moment she gave it away, he was gone in a moment and spread rumors about her at school. And so Jesus understands that if she's acting in this particular manner, the deeper issue is condemnation. See, when a house is condemned, what it means when that sign's put up is that this house can no longer be used for the purpose that it was built to be used for. So when Jesus communicates to her, she had probably been walking around her whole life since she was a little girl with the thoughts of, I'm no good, I'm unqualified, I'm disqualified, I'm not good enough, people don't like me, I've messed up too many times, I'm just trash, I'm not good enough. And Jesus communicates to her, honey, I need you to understand you're not condemned. I need you to understand you're not disqualified. I need you to understand you're still a daughter of the Most High God that I've got plans for you, that I'm going to use you in a powerful way. And so he communicates the message to break the cycle so that now she can live a life of sinning no more. See, Jesus wants to deal with what's underneath and the behavior will take care of itself. So often we get fixated on the behavior instead of dealing with what's fueling the behavior. I want to quickly give you three things that fuel behaviors in our life that none of us like. The first one is this, is Number one, it's past hurts. See, who knows that this lady had to face a decision. When Jesus said to her, who's here to condemn you? She could have lived in the past and she would have missed out on her present miracle. Because what she could have done is said, oh, okay, Jesus, you want to get me started on who's condemned me? Well, what about my dad who wasn't around? What about the 13-year-old punk? 
And don't get me started, Jesus. And we don't know how many men were here condemning her, but let's just say there was 50. That seems like there was a bunch of, of men. And Jesus, don't get me started on the 50 or so men that just moments ago were screaming for my death. You want to know who condemned me? But she had to make a decision to not let the past come into the present. She had to make a decision to say, no one condemns me. And so often our, 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 our past fuels behavior that we don't like. You know, this happens in marriage. <clears throat> uh, often, not often, every now and again, Jackie and I will have a heated conversation. Just in case you don't know, that's Christian for argument, okay? Just in case, anyway. All right. And so we'll have a heated conversation. And, and she'll say something that triggers me. And, and I'll feel a trigger. I'll feel anger rise up on the inside. And if I be honest with you, there's times when that anger, because I feel so triggered, that then the anger on the inside turns to rage. And, and, and most times, more often than not, I'm smart enough to walk away in that moment. Because I know that anything I say in that moment is not good for my marriage. And it is definitely not good for my sex life. Okay? I am married, just in case you're wondering. And so most times I will walk away, and then when I walk away, I, I assess once the anger subsides, I think to myself, man, hang on a second, like, what she said to me was annoying, but it was like a two out of ten. But the anger and rage I felt in my heart, it was like an eight. And I don't really understand the math of that because... I think we just need a couple more seats. We just had, oh, there's three seats down here if you want to come and sit down there in the second row here. God bless you guys, just, just down the front here. Uh, you know, and so I will sit there and I think to myself that, that, that two doesn't equal eight. But the only way two might equal eight is maybe I'm still dealing with the one from three months ago and the two from six weeks ago and the three that happened eight days ago, and now all of a sudden two actually equals eight. Because I haven't dealt with the past hurts, and I'm allowing them to cause behavior in my presence. I remember praying for this pastor's wife who majorly struggled with anxiety. And she told me her biggest fear is to hop on an airplane. But she struggled for so long with anxiety and almost and panic attacks. And now her 18-year-old daughter was starting to take on the traits of mum. And I remember I'm ministering at their church and, and she said, you know, I'm so petrified to hop on a plane. And I said, oh, well, we're going to deal with that. I said, let's meet tomorrow. I met her and her husband on the Monday morning where I'd do a session, and, an hour prayer kind of session with them. And, and, and so Sunday night she has this dream. She has a dream about a memory that happened 30, 30-something 30 years ago that she had not talked about in 20 years. She told her husband of this experience 20 years ago when they first got married, and they've never talked about it again. She has the dream the night before we're about to meet. And the dream was that when she was about, I think, 11 or 12, her uncle minded her for the day. He took her to, the, to his, his farm, his property, and on the farm he sexually abused her. She never told mom. She never told anyone what had happened. She sort of kept it in. She told her husband 20 years ago. And so I was able to minister to that past hurt. I was able to minister healing to the trauma that happened to a little girl. But then we we're also able to help her 
to forgive her uncle. Now, if you get upset by that, it simply means you don't understand the power of forgiveness. See, forgiveness does not mean saying what he did was okay. What he did was wrong and he deserves punishment. But when you forgive, forgiveness is not a gift to the person. Forgiveness is a gift to yourself. Forgiveness is making a decision that I'm not going to let the evil act that someone did to me wreck the rest of my life. So I'm going to release the bitterness. I'm going to release the hatred. I'm going to release forgiveness so that I can walk in everything that God has for my life. She was ministered to in a powerful way. The second thing that, 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 that causes behaviors we don't like, number two, is destructive mindsets. And again, when Jesus communicates to this woman that you're not condemned, he knew that she had a mindset. See, what you believe is driving you in life. What she believed led her to a bedroom with a man that wasn't her husband. What she believed about herself, what she believed about who she was in God. And so destructive mindsets, and like I kind of already said to you, is, uh, you know, the, the whole thing of when we do our 21-day journey, I don't want it to just be one touch changes everything. I want people to do the work of actually renewing your mind and changing your belief systems because that'll serve you well for the rest of your life. I actually do the 21-day mind renewal part of what we teach almost every 21 days. I pick another mindset that I just keep working on and working on and working on so that I can build my mindset. You know, when I was praying for the, the pastor's wife and when we're ministering healing, there was a lot of tears and forgiving her uncle was a terribly hard thing for her to do, but she finally got there and she had sort of subsided and she'd stopped crying. And then I felt God speak to me and, and remember her biggest fear was to hop on an airplane. I felt God speak to me and he says, get her to pray this prayer. And I said, hey, I just feel that you should pray this prayer. Would you repeat after me? She says, yes. And I said, well, say this, say father. She says, father. I said, Thank you that I can trust you to protect me. She said, thank you that I... <laughs> thank you that I... <laughs> she couldn't say the words. Because, and I understand when you're an 11-year-old girl and someone robs your innocence, but at that moment she had created a belief system that you cannot trust God to protect you. How was her fear manifested the most? Hopping on an aeroplane. If you believe that you can't trust God to protect you, I ain't hopping on a tin can that flies through the sky. In that moment, she actually did our 21-day program and she changed that particular mindset of a fear-based belief. And now she is 100% free of anxiety, panic attacks and fear and walking in everything God has called her to walk in. I might just get the keyboarder to come. This is my last point, then we're going to pray. And this one is a big one. And the last thing is this, things that fuel behaviors that we don't like. It's past hurts. It's destructive mindsets. This is one we don't talk about a lot in the church, but it's oppression. It's demonic oppression. You know, when Jesus did his miracles on earth, the number one miracle he did was healing people's bodies. But the number two miracle that Jesus did in the Bible was setting people free of demonic oppression. And, and let me tell you, I, I actually only need the keyboarder, guys. You can, you can, oh well. Uh, and, and so the plan of the enemy today, I want you to catch this, the plan of the enemy today is to hide. In the Western world, that's his plan. 
See, back in the 90s, and most of you look like you were very little in the 90s, but back in the 90s, the church went a bit crazy. And it was like there was a demon under every bush. You know what I'm saying? Like that guy sneezed. He's got a demon. Take him out the back. But you know, in the church today, I'm talking about the wider global church, it's pretty much like demons. They don't exist anymore. Or we've demonized demons. And what I mean by that, like maybe the, the, the guy that's homeless and he's yelling at things that aren't really there. Well, maybe he has one, but not us. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when this lady, again, we don't know how many men there were, but let's say there's 50 men and they're screaming, kill her. The Bible says she's unworthy, probably calling her terrible names. And really those men yelling those profanities and those things about her were actually a picture of the invisible noise that she'd been hearing for probably decades. Like that day, the men appeared physically, but those voices had been there for a very long time. See, the reason why the devil in this age, he hides, and that's his agenda in the Western world, is because he doesn't want retaliation. See, think about this. America has countries that are in the world that are on record as enemies of America. And if they could, they would blow America up in a moment. And America has the firepower to finish any of those countries that we know are enemies, but they don't do it. And even though America knows that they would win, the reason they don't do it is because they know that even though they would win, there would still be a great cost and there would be retaliation and there would be casualties. So they make the decision to not do it because they don't want retaliation. So what America does instead is they raise up brave men and women that become spies. And these spies risk their lives where they go to these countries and they infiltrate governments and places of power. And while they're there, they're sending secrets back that America can use to pull down and they're, they're manipulating. And, they're, and Why are they doing that? See, they do that because they can affect the enemy without any retaliation. See, the devil hides in this age because if we just call it everything else, oh, it's just anxiety, it's just depression, it's just this, it's just this, and we give a name to everything, then we don't retaliate. And I'm not saying those things aren't real, but let me just show you how oppression, I'm just about done, I'm going to share my story and then we're going to, we're going to pray. But, but let me just tell you how oppression is way more common than you think, demonic oppression. Uh, the Bible says this, the Bible says, if you go to bed angry and the sun goes down, it says you give the devil a foothold. A foothold. I've been married almost 18 years. I would be a liar if I stood here and said to you that there weren't some nights that I went to bed angry and the sun went down. So the Bible says that when I've done that, I've given the enemy a foothold. See, really demonic oppression is simply when the enemy has found a legal right to speak because he's a legalist. But see, the devil doesn't wake me up the next morning after I went to bed angry 
And he wakes up and says, oh, Lucas, good morning. Just want you to know that you disobeyed the Scripture and you've now given me a foothold, Lucas. So I just want you to know that for the next month or two, I'm going to be speaking quite a lot in your mind. All of it's going to be negative about your wife. He doesn't do that. But I've given him a foothold. So now the next morning he speaks, but he speaks as if he's me. And now my wife gets up and does something that doesn't normally annoy me, but I've given the enemy a foothold. So now while she's doing that particular thing, a voice comes in my head that I think is my own. And it says, is she doing that just to annoy me? What did she really mean when she said, good morning? Did she have tone when she said, good morning? Come on, you married people know about tone. See, or, or, or I don't have time to go there, but there's another scripture that talks about a man that was forgiven an unpayable debt and then he finds someone that owes a payable debt and he doesn't show mercy and grace. And the master that forgave him the unpayable debt, he says, you wicked servant, you'll be now thrown into the jail. It says where the tormentors will have their way with you. See, when you have unforgiveness towards someone, it releases tormentors to speak. You know what I'm talking about, that person that hurt you, and now you see them on Instagram. And there's immediately these thoughts that you think are your own. But now you run with them. And the more you run with them, it actually starts to change who you are as a person. And now your bitterness starts to overflow on people that weren't even the people that hurt you, but you've given the enemy a legal right to speak. Last thing I'll say, and then we're going to pray. It was January 26. And my church, C3 San Diego, once a year we do a whole Sunday on oppression. Call it Freedom Sunday. It's amazing because, you know, sometimes the church says if you talk about this stuff, people won't handle it. It is our most heavily attended Sunday of the entire year. Because people bring their friends because every year they see the freedom that comes in people's lives. So they bring their friends to hear about how easy it is to end up with oppression in our lives. And so I was away preaching, which I do most weekends, so I listened to the podcast, and it was the first time I thought, well, maybe I have some oppression. Because I had struggled for 20 years, maybe even my whole life, with condemnation, with self-worth, never feeling good enough. And I always put it down to the fact, well, dad was a drug addict and we were poor and, and my parents were divorced. And, and then I became a Christian and, and I loved God, but I made some mistakes and I did stuff that I said I wouldn't do. And, and then the guilt and the shame. And, and so I'd been trying to renew my mind as a Christian for 20 years. I know every low self-worth scripture there is in the Bible. I was meditating on it for 20 years, but it didn't matter how much I meditated, there was always the background noise that I wasn't good enough. And I want to tell you that when I was going through some harder, tougher seasons, it was like the noise was loud and it was debilitating. And there were even moments where it was hard to get out of bed. But then there were a lot of good seasons where, where you know, it was going well and it wasn't loud, but it was still in the background. So I hear this message and I'm a preacher. I'm like, well, I want someone to pray for me. And so I ring up a guy who's a lay pastor in our church but moves in this kind of, this kind of thing. And, and I say, hey, Lance, would you pray for me? It's a Saturday. Would, and I get with Lance and I, and I get real. 
See, here's the deal. If you won't take off your mask, your face can't get healed. Too many religious masks in the church in America. And we need to take off our masks so that we can get healed. And I, I get real with this guy and I talk about some mistakes and some things that have happened in my life. And I get real and, and, and then he prays for me. I closed my eyes and it was just a five minute prayer. I can't remember anything he said. But while he was praying, I had a vision. Now I minister a lot and I get impressions. It's like a blurry impression and I minister out of it and most times I'm right. But this wasn't an impression. This was like a vision. It was like a movie that I was watching with my eyes closed. And while he prayed, I saw this movie happen in front of me where I was, there's this, this dark underground, almost like a, a subway kind of underground area and it represented my inner man. And then I saw this tunnel and I saw these barn doors that were shaped like the tunnel. And I even heard it. And as he was praying, I saw the barn doors to the tunnel and I heard them, they went, and they closed. And instantly in that moment, I knew with my eyes closed, I'm like, there was darkness behind the doors. And then I instantly felt joy just for 10 seconds. Literally like I got injected with it. I went, whoosh, joy. I went away and I thought, man, something happened. And I'll never forget this moment, January 27th. It was Sunday. I was getting ready to preach at one of our campuses. My family had already gone to church. So I was home by myself. The next day, I'm walking into the shower to get ready. I'll never forget this. I'm walking into the shower, and as I walk into my bathroom, I'm stopped in my tracks, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by how quiet my house is. But then I realize it's not the quiet of my house. It's the quiet of my house. For probably more than 20 years, the noise had just become so normal that I thought it was just me and my thoughts. Since that day, my marriage has been radically different. My, the way I minister has been radically different. You know, every time as I open the altar, I'm going to do right now in just a moment. Every time I've shared this, been sharing this message, I think since about... April or May. Every time I open the altar and I say to people, can you relate to the noise? Can you relate to maybe there is oppression? Like every time I go to churches, I'm seeing minimum 60% of the crowd come forward. And in most places, up to 90% of people saying, see, there are so many spirits that we're not calling out what they actually are. If you keep going to that same thing that you don't want to do, maybe there's a spirit of lust that you've given a legal right to speak. If you're constantly struggling with anxiety and panic attacks, the Bible calls it a spirit of fear. So maybe, and yes, there's natural components. I'm not saying all of it is, is, is oppression, but maybe there is something demonic that literally has found a legal right to speak. Maybe if it's insecurity or maybe you're always feeling rejected or always condemned or, or, or always depressed or suicide or, or, or whatever. Maybe there is a demonic spirit that's found a legal right and it just continues to speak. And then, of course, as it speaks, we often accept what it's saying and now we run. And now it's our own thoughts 
And I want to open the altar. I want to pray. And like I said, this moment I'm about to do now, I've never done anything in my ministry life that's been more powerful and more effective in seeing people get radically free. I get emails every single week that I'd made your anxiety and in that moment it went. I'd made your depression and in that moment it went. I was struggling with an addiction and in that moment, whether it's alcohol, whether it's lust, whether it, well, it might, whatever it is, but in that moment it went. And I want to ask every person to stand on your feet. We're going to be done in five minutes. And I want to right now just open the altar. If you'd say, Lucas, I, I, want, I want you to pray for me because I feel like there's, and it might be something major. It might be something minor. It doesn't matter. But if you know there's some constant noise and it's the same theme, and you say, Lucas, I want you to include me. I want you to pray. Then I want you to just quickly come to the front. Yeah, quickly come to the front now. Yeah, awesome. So proud of you. Come on, so proud of you. So proud of you. So proud of you. Just, just if you could come to the sides a bit too, so there's a lot of people in the middle. Just about every person. Yeah, I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, and I know he won't because I know his heart. But I love when a senior pastor, and I see this often, can answer this altar call. Because what it says to the people is this is the place where you can get healed. When a leader is carrying a religious mask and, and he can't feel that he can come forward to the house of God, it communicates a message that if you're a leader, this is not the place where you can be real. And so here's what we're going to do. If you're still in the crowd, I'm going to get you to help with me in a moment where you're going to stand with me and pray. Just about everyone's here. I'm going to take you through three things and then I'm going to pray. And when I pray, you're going to see power happen and stuff's going to shift. You're going to feel it. It's going to lift. But I want to do three things. Because like I said, the devil, what he does is he finds a legal right. So I'm going to help you in three things. The first one is this. Is one of the main way that we get oppressed is through unforgiveness. When we have an offense towards someone, forgiveness is one of the hardest things in the Bible. Because it doesn't say if the person... If what the person did to you wasn't that bad, you should forgive them. No matter what they did. They might have sexually abused you. That is evil. But you still have to forgive. Someone might have robbed you or did the wrong, but you still have to forgive or otherwise. So what I'm going to get you to do in a second, I'm going to get you to close your eyes. I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you're going to ask God to show you anyone that you might have unforgiveness towards. Now, let, now hear me here. One of the biggest things that I'm seeing people, especially men, but also women, getting set free from is self-hatred. And I want to tell you why a spirit of self-hatred comes is because sometimes the person you need to forgive is yourself. Because what you've done is you're okay at going to God saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. And you know that He's forgiven you, but you're still walking around with this thing of, yeah, I deserve condemnation. I deserve bad things because you haven't. And sometimes in this moment, you simply, when you do it, you need to say, I forgive me for doing that stuff. And so I want to help you in that prayer. So everyone just close your eyes. And once I pray, you're going to do business by yourself. Just with your eyes closed, you don't need to tell anyone what's going on. But I'm going to help you. And whatever God speaks to you about, whatever, whoever he brings up, for some of you, it might be 10 people. Some of you, it's yourself and five others. There's no right or wrong. But as you ask him, whoever he brings up, you in your heart, you say, God, I choose to forgive so-and-so. And then it's powerful to say for what they did. God, I, I choose to forgive my uncle that he robbed me of my innocence. 
God, I choose to forgive me because I shouldn't have looked at that stuff. God, I choose to forgive my wife who walked out on me. My mom who wasn't there for me. My dad who ran off when I was a little girl. So right now, I can already feel the power of God. I want you to repeat after me. Say, Father, show me anyone in my life that I have unforgiveness toward and help me to forgive them. I'm going to just give you a minute right now. Just do business in you. So many tears right now. It's beautiful. Come on, forgive yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Come on, forgive that person. Remember, forgiving them doesn't say that what they did was right. It's just you saying, I'm giving myself the gift of forgiveness. Jesus, there it is. Power of God's here now. Feel the love of the Father in this place, just healing. Oh, it's so beautiful. If you could see what I see, so many tears right now. Come on. Just do business with God. Whoever he brings up. There might be 10 people. Just choose to forgive. Just with your eyes closed, let me just tell you this for tomorrow. If there was someone major that you knew you had to forgive, what I would suggest to you is every day keep forgiving them. Now, spiritually, you only have to do it once. But what has to happen is our emotions have to catch up to our faith decision. And when you've been really, really hurt in your emotions, you have to continue to forgive each day until you know your emotions are now in line with the faith decision you're making. Second thing, I'm going to pray. There's three things, and then I'll pray. Second thing is the other way that you won't get free is if there's unrepented sin in your life. And now, again, you don't have to tell anyone this is you and God, but if there's an area in your life where you're still living in sin, then the devil's going to keep a legal right to be able to speak. And so what I want you to do right now, now, this is not dredge up every wrong thing you've ever done. This is not dredge up every, because if you've already asked God for forgiveness, that's done. But if there's an area where you're still now, that you might have an addiction where you're like, but God, I've tried a million times. That's okay. You're not, you're not saying to God, God, I'll be perfect. But what you're saying in this moment, God, I'm turning away from that sinful life. If you're living with your girlfriend, God, I'm turning away from it. If you've been looking at pornography, God, I'm turning away from it. I'm going to need your help, God, but I'm today in my heart, I'm turning away. If you've been gossiping about God, I'm turning away. So I'm going to get you to pray that prayer. Just with your eyes closed, say, Father, show me any unrepented sin that's in my life and help me to turn away from it. In Jesus' name, amen.